Hello and welcome to the Football New South Wales Community Podcast, covering the great people, stories and initiatives from around the football family. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. It's great to have your company for another edition. So let's get into what's on. With the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023 in action, Valentine Sports Park, the home of football in New South Wales, has become the training base for the France women's national team. Over the past year, VSP has undertaken some lighting upgrades, and for anyone that's been on site, you'll notice that Field 1 is in immaculate condition, all of which has been ensured so that the facility remains a world-class one. If you were looking for a second team to support, you may well choose to adopt France, as VSP has for the month. With Valentine Sports Park occupied, Manly Warringah Football Association's Cromer Park hosted the 2023 Football New South Wales State Cup Finals, the first time the finals have run since 2019. A big congratulations to all the teams who played across the weekend. A special mention to the host association, Manly, who came away with five of the State Cup titles. And a huge congratulations to Cronulla Seagulls Football Club, who won all three cup finals in the under-18 boys, under-21 men's and all-age men's competitions. A remarkable achievement. You can find out about all the 2023 champions on the Football New South Wales website. Of course, part of the Football New South Wales Community Podcast is checking in with our regional associations and governing bodies. This month, we're going to Northwest Sydney Football and Spirit FC. Our guest this week is Tim Thorne. So let's get to our guest this week on the Football New South Wales Community Podcast. It's Tim Thorne, the head of football for Northwest Sydney Football and Spirit FC. Tim, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So tell us, how many years in this role and how many years involved with Northwest Sydney Football? So I've been involved with Northwest Sydney football for many, many years, going back to GHFA. I, um, probably, it's probably getting on 20 years um, since I started to be involved, um, both as, initially as a community development officer and also a lo- local DOC as well, or a CCC as they're, they're currently known. Um, the, in this role here, I came back after stints in professional sports, so going through different clubs, both in football and I went to the dark side over to rugby league with Cronulla Sharks for three years um, and that was a, a great a great professional thing um, and then uh, decided to come back to the head of football role here approximately five years ago. How many staff um, on the ground we're actually speaking at Christie Park today so uh, you are one of how many and and tell us about sort of the structure of your team and and yep. the management. Yeah, so as, as far as if you're talking about uh, full-time, so we've got uh, office staff. There, there are f- approximately five different staff working uh, d- between full-time and part-time. Um, there are also additional people that help out with different bit, bits and pieces across the association and spirit. From a coaching point of view and the, the technical staff um, and support staff underneath it, it's total about 70 that we have on board here. Um, but on top of, on top of that, uh, uh, um, it's important to note that at present I'm the only one full-time. And as far as the uh, number of players, adult, junior, um, you know, pathways, participation, how, what's the catchment? How many, how many players is this facility and your organisation currently providing the game for? Yeah, so, so from, a, from a local perspective, we're, we're hoping to push towards that, that 17,000 mark 
um, from a local club perspective. Um, then on top of that, from a uh, Spirit FC perspective, we got 500 athletes in the full-time program where they're, where they're training uh, three times a week plus the game for 40 weeks. Um, we then got a 500-strong academy, which comes from the local clubs. And I'm really proud to say that all our youth teams, and even now moving into our 20s, etc., um, and resis, uh, we, we have 95% local players. It's a phenomenal number of players, um, and, and also, you know, given the at times geographic sort of separation of Sydney and, and the ability to travel with ease, how important is this association for this part of the city? Oh, it's mass- massively important. I think it, it, it's safe to say that maybe going back a, a while ago, it was thought that you had to import. Um, the footballers from other parts of Sydney in, in order to compete at the, um, the highest level in football. Um, I think it's now known that if you believe in your local players and you really put time and energy into them, uh, which has been a heavy focus over the last five years, you not only grow the players, you grow your, your people as well, your coaches. And when they finish up, they all go back into the association and value add to the community again. And, that, and it's a very, very important part of the ecosystem. Now, before we get into uh, talking about some of the key points that we're going to have in this chat, uh, legacy, uh, coach education, and also uh, Northwest Sydney Spirits uh, philosophy. I wanted to ask you about the, the physical facility we're sitting at today. Uh, what can you tell us about the future of Christie Park and what can we look forward to uh, over the coming months and years? Yeah, it's, re- it's really exciting. We, we've um, obviously, uh, both the association and Spirit FC has been here for many, many years. Um, but uh, it's gone from a uh, trotting track um, to two grass fields and now to two synthetics. Uh, we've got uh, cameras which record everything on both fields. Uh, we've got this fantastic new, I, I believe the total is $3.5 million building uh, that's come in which houses our offices and also um, our function rooms which we're sitting in at the moment. Um, and we've got a total of six video areas where our squads can go in and, and do video along with the, which combines with all our, our um our change rooms as well. Um, on on top of that, we've also got uh, uh, 24 large goals and and a whole bunch of other equipment, which helps us run not only training but also the the local tournaments and things like that that we do. A simple question: Is it enough? Do you need more? And and I guess because one thing that's been characteristic of uh, some of the chats we've had on this podcast with other associations is that physical field space is always in demand. Appetite for the game, especially with successful Men's World Cup for the Socceroos, Women's World Cup going on in our backyard, that there is always an appetite for more. So where is Spirit at as far as fits for needs at the moment? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's compact with the amount of things that we do. And obviously we uh, share this facility partially, uh, especially from a game day perspective with Ravens and Magic. Um, and we work really well in that space. But the, I think the, the number one thing is football is, is a sport that constantly needs to grow its grounds. Um, it's not just about spirit, it's also about uh, all the local club because we all grow together. Um, and right at the moment, uh, football is the one sport that's growing massively, especially in the, in the female space. And, and people underestimate how much it's growing in the overs space, the older, older space with walk football and, and things like that. So we massively need to keep on working with council to grow everything that we do um, because of where we're going as a sport, both on the ground, um, in grassroots, but also prof- professionally. Now, uh, you've 
been a successful recipient of the New South Wales Football Legacy Fund to help expand this initiative. Tell us what that actually entailed. Okay, yeah, so we, we had our scoreboard that we, that we put in place and now we're looking to further enhance uh, Christie Park on top, on top of that um, and we want to get on uh, what's currently called Field 2 but we want to call Christie Park West um, because we want them to be uh, basically mirror each other and we also want to gr- grow the Lux on the fields as well as the awnings and the facilities so both fields are exactly the same. But as an association, um, we're also... So expanding across all everything we do within the association and we're actually working really proactively at the moment to put that in place. Let's talk about one of the, uh, the, the key talking points uh, for this chat, the importance of coach education within grassroots football. I understand that the biggest growth area for NWS coaches uh, is in women's coaches, but what are some of the biggest drivers to getting women to coach teams, take up coaching courses and actually pursue it as something that uh, they can actually do in the game? Yeah, yeah. So it's massively important for the game, but also for us as a society in, in moving forward. But I think the probably the better way to put it is what we need to create is great environments. Um, and the number one thing that will affect that is the how you our local clubs create committees. And, and we've got a legacy uh, club program, which over half our clubs have already engaged with, which um, basically has two, two main criteria. Number one is that we have, there is a female on the committee or attached to the local club committee. And then on top of that, they've got a female coaching coordinator. So whether we're growing, we're we're helping uh, to educate uh, uh, male or female coaches for male or female or mixed teams. The really important part is we're growing the clubs and the coaches' abilities to create great environments because ultimately that's what, what, what grows the game and what uh, creates a great experience for a player, which means they're both A, going to stay and B, going to tell somebody else to come and join. Now, we are chatting mid-Women's World Cup. It's obviously the talk of the nation right now, but it does have a a very tangible hands-on effect for your association too. Yeah, 100%. Um, we've been really lucky with our board and they've, they've worked tirelessly to, with their Women's World Cup Legacy Committee to bring in a lot of programs that have worked on leadership uh, across the game and across our local clubs. Um, they've also put in a lot of coach education initiatives and worked with our, our head of coach education to do that. But they've also done some, uh, our, some other initiatives like our Matildas alumni coming out and motivating our legacy clubs. It's just been magnificent that we've been able to um, bring that together. It was really great to see on our on our uh, Super Saturday where we have our men's and women's playing back-to-back, which we do every home game, and just to see our men and women integrating and, and wanting b- both uh, sides of the game to grow and having the Matildas alumni up here talking about the game, where it can go, and then have a Women's World Cup then, then steps onto stage here in Sydney to, to sell out clout crowds. It's magnificent. Coach education opportunities, uh, courses, workshops. Um, tell us about some of the successes, but also some of the challenges that you're facing in providing that. Yeah, it's really interesting. So it's probably, um, we'll probably get into our DNA later because that's a really core cool part of it, um, which is the, the way the way we coach who we are as an association and who, who uh, both our rep clubs and our local clubs are. Um, and that's a really, really important part. 
Um, but uh, Tim Palmer heads our coach and player development across the association and spirit, and he does a magnificent job um, in developing that. Um, we've also got our game development officer, and we've got a new game development officer that will be coming on shortly. Um, and we had Nikki, who was previously in the role, and and a large part of that was creating the legacy program. But also um, from a coach ed sense. Um, once again, you're really trying to create great environments. So what you've got to do is create bespoke courses that are there for the coaches when they need them and the different uh, local club people when they need them. So we do a massive amount of courses. We've gone, we doubled our courses since pre-COVID to now. So we're doing over 40 courses and programs across across the season. Um, a lot, we've got a lot of female-only coaching courses and a, a lot of uh, female uh, presenters and mentors who are being developed. Uh, we also have our we've last four years we've been doing 15 C licence scholarships with five to ten of those dedicated to female coaches or coaches who, who coach females and bringing them in and re really focusing on trying to uplift what they can do and we've also worked on making sure the courses are at the times that make sense so a Monday is generally when people are free so we move heaven and earth and this facility will make it easier to do everything on Mondays um, and then our C licences, we've moved from being weekend-based to being Friday night-based, so people who have kids can still attend those, and then allowing a gap time so they've got time to then um, rejuvenate, then come and finish it as well. Uh, I'm interested to know, with the, the feedback you get from these courses, how much of it is driven by quality of player produced or quality of football played as opposed to quality of experience of the participant regardless of the level of standard that they're at how do you gauge these things when you're shaping the directive yeah so uh, as far as if there are different levels that come on the course that's all, always an interesting one the way we've made the courses with um, without going too much into the dna they're very bespoke now so that's the word we really like to use with them so what we do is we educate the the coach in what they do in the uh, not just for training sessions we also come in and, and show them what a game day looks like because half of their time for local club is spent in game day so we bring them in and work with them on that but also on top of that they then do a video the once they get into the um past the mini ruse they'll um, also start to do videos of their sessions and then we go through those with them and it creates a really um, a really great environment for them us seeing what they're doing in their local environment and we can then develop them at their level um, and next year we're moving to game day mentors and uh, so people who go out and help them on the ground out in the association and Spirit FC is the driver of that every single coach at Spirit FC knows their job is to help local clubs. Now, you used the uh, acronym CCCs before, Club yep. Coach Coordinators. Uh, tell us about their role in the community. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. So we, we've been doing uh, CCC or DOCs for probably 20 years. It was something we put in place 20 years ago. We still call them DOCs, cause, but it's really CCC. It's a, the same thing. Um, and what it is is having somebody who's that portal. For some clubs, the, the main person might be, might be the great communicator who can get everything out to the coaches so that they can come and utilise all the different things we have offer. For other people, it, it may be that they spend a lot of time on the ground with their 
teams. But now what we're asking our clubs to do, and we've been doing this for a while, is they've got a DOC or a CCC, they've got an assistant CCC, um, and then also nowadays uh, with the legacy clubs, they've got an FCC, a female coaching coordinator. So they've got multiple people who can communicate and engage and, and help the environments grow and the coach, coaches grow in, in their local clubs. Let's get to DNA then, because you've made a few references to it. Um, for your association, what does that actually entail? Yeah, so it's probably one of the things uh, I'm most proud of that we've all achieved together. Um, it's something really, really special. It's, it's very unique. Uh, the difference between us and probably every other group, if I want to put a point of difference and, and um, across, is that we believe in an integrated ecosystem where everything works together. We believe what we do at Spirit and what we do at Local Club are highly connected. Um, and we're really, really lucky. Um, uh, really, really lucky to have that. So for the past five years, we've um, we developed a DNA which basically tells us how to develop players, um, how to develop people, so people can be many different things, coaches, high-performance staff, all those sorts of things, video analysts, and and what we want to achieve. We then broke that down into you could... T- it's not really a style of play, it's a style of player because we want to create players who can play for anyone, anywhere, at any time. Um, and then we've broken it down even further into chunks of ha- how this can be seen. So we've got bespoke programs for local clubs, for all, all our representatives, um, for overs um, who are just starting the game, for overs who have been playing the game for a long time. Um, and then on top of that, we've created 150 videos that support that. Um, which goes are nice and chunkable. They're no longer than two minutes, and so coaches can watch them, and then they can go and look for more. And we put that all on a website. The person who's been the main orchestrator of getting that across and onto into the current form is Tim Palmer, and he's done a phenomenal job of putting that together. Um, and it's something that I think is wonderfully unique. And now we're, um, with our game development officer, we are fo- now focusing that on how do we make it not just work for our local clubs, but it, really, it becomes something that's infused with them to help them grow and make things easier for them. We've heard a lot about the, the base of the pyramid and the far-reaching uh, grassroots uh, influence that this has. How important is the pointy end? Basically, what I'm asking is your two senior teams in New South Wales NPL men's and women's, Spirit FC. Obviously, uh, Spirit... Waratah Cup holders uh, at least for the next few uh, weeks until the next final crowns a new champion and then of course um, uh, they're almost certainly uh, going to be back in the division next year almost mathematically secure Yes, Uh, and also (laughs) the women's team flying, challenging for finals hoping to be there at the pointy end of the season but how important are those two teams as flagships at the top of the program? Oh look it's massively important, Um, I think it's it's, the way we see it is it's a philosophical thing um, we everybody who's here needs to be here for the right reason, and if they're here to be great, they're here for the right reason. Um, it's a real focus. Our our place on the table will never define who who we are and what we're trying to achieve, because what we're trying to achieve is something that you just got to keep on building towards. Um, if it's just our place on a table, I think we're going to sell ourselves short. Um, but what we want is greatness. Um, Perco does a magnificent job and has for the last five, six years um, with, with the M first grade. Uh, Tiana has moved into the, the W first grade and, and, and uh, last year and has shown the professionalism that, that we really want to see.
see. We want two mirror programs that that might that while their style of play might be slightly different because of what they're trying to achieve with their players, the intent to be great and create players who not only can play for us but can go and play anywhere. Um, but it's really important to also understand that um, we've got our AYL, um, we've got our WYL and our, our MYL, Mixed Youth League, which is really, really important. We don't say boys because we've got six uh, female players who play in those squads. Um, and it's really, really important that we, we keep on developing all of them along with our SAP players. So we, we just ha- have a great environment where everybody can grow. And, and last one, I mean, you've mentioned your, your men's senior coach uh, in the first grade, David Perkovich, and also Tiana Gauchi, uh, your senior women's coach. Is the next step to have a, an NWS uh, senior coach moving up to the A-League, coaching an A-League team, coaching a youth national team? Is that is that something that you would love to see? I mean, particularly uh, Tiana being a head coach at um, NPL women's level, um, there's been a, a, a great desire for more senior a-League women's coaches to be women. So is that something that's an important part as well to, to show the progress, even if it does mean that your program ultimately has to wish them well and say goodbye and lose their IP? Yeah, oh, look, we, we would love nothing more than for either Perko or Tiana to go up to A-League. The, it's really fair to say that, in my opinion, having been a professional level um, and seen how how coaches develop their squads. Perko is an A-League coach. He should be there. He he should be there now. Um, He's good enough now. And the the more professional setting he goes in where he's got multiple full-timers around him, the better he'll be. Tiana has been assistant in in A-League women. And and uh, she is somebody who is is can really go up and really should get a shot within a league um, setup. I don't believe that we need to define whether either of them go to the women's side or the men's side. I don't think we need to limit them to where they go. But both of them deserve to be going towards that level, and they are ready now. So if anybody comes and says they want to take them to a league, we will be mega happy for them, and then we'll work out where we go next. Tim Thorne, it's been a comprehensive check-in on uh, all things Northwest Sydney football and also Spirit FC. Thank you for the insights and also the detail and the explanation for what happens here. It's been a great chat and thanks for your time. Okay. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Football New South Wales Community Podcast. Stay with us. More guests coming up. You're listening to the Football New South Wales Community Podcast. It's time to head west and go out to Bathurst. Josh Wilcox is a club stalwart who has worn many hats for CSU Bathurst. He's currently a first-team player as well, and he joins us as our guest to talk about some pretty important initiatives. Josh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So our focus of this chat is about the Headspace Cup. For those who don't know what it is, give us the rundown. Uh, so the Headspace Cup is pretty much an initiative that we started way back in 2016 as a way to raise funds for Headspace. So simply Headspace is obviously an organisation that looks to help mentally ill people or just people struggling with their mental health, mostly between the ages of 16 and 25. Um, as a university, that's pretty much right in our age bracket where most of our players and people around the university are involved in. So it's just a way for us to sort of play some football, try and raise some money, 
and then, yeah, pretty much just spread the message of um, what to do when you're struggling with mental health. Now, how many uh, games does the Cup entail? How many teams? I understand it runs once a year, uh, and clubs within the association are encouraged to have conversations about mental health, breaking the stigma around mental health, and also raising money, as you mentioned, for the local Headspace branch, Headspace Bathurst. But what is the size of the Headspace Cup, and, and how many teams and players does it include? Yeah, exactly. So what you said there about spreading the message is exactly what our main aim is. But simply to put it up front for the cup in a competitive sense, uh, for example, this year we've got seven teams. So all seven teams in their regular home and away season will verse another team within the Bathurst District comp, and they pretty much align as a club just for one weekend to verse our club. And basically it's just a win and loss record. Whoever's got the most wins or losses wins what we call the, um, the Headspace Cup. Now, this takes place on the weekend of August 5th and 6th this year. Has it always been that weekend? And, and what's been the sort of the targeted weekend to give us the, the best amount of exposure and also the best response within the community? Yeah, so simply we normally pick that time of year because it's a good time of year when we're getting right towards the pointy end of the season. The games always matter a bit more, but also gives the teams that might be struggling a bit lower, a bit of an initiative to try and get that extra win for the clubs or whoever they're presenting. Obviously, during the winter months, it's a bit cooler. People might be struggling with getting out and getting involved. So it's a really good way for our club to sort of spread a bit of message about mental health, get people out and about watching some football and just learn some facts about mental health. As you mentioned, uh, it's it's been going since 2016, so quite some time now. But what was the, the motivating point for the competition, uh, the Headspace Cup, to start? What was the, the genus of it and what was the motivation to have it run and obviously now hopefully heading towards its uh, first decade of operation? Yeah, so pretty much as I'm um, back with our committee in 2016, we're just looking at ways to get more involved with the community. At that point, our club had been around for about 52, 53 years, so we're already pretty well involved in the community. But it was just an initiative from the committee, take that extra step, see where they could help out. And Headspace sort of knocked on the door and we're really interested in getting involved. And we thought, yeah, what a great way to sort of help in a bit of fundraising, a bit of help in the community. And that was sort of where it all started. And then the competitive nature of football obviously took over. And now we have ourselves the Headspace Cup, which we compete for every year. Is it something that's um, close to, to your heart personally due to people you've known in your life or within the cup, uh, within your club, sorry? Or is it something that's just worked uh, as an alignment, as you mentioned, because of the age demographic of the, uh, the people within your organisation? Yeah, well, exactly. There's two ways to look at it. Personally, when I joined the club back in 2018, I was just a young 18-year-old bloke trying to start out at uni and sort of get a foot in to the community, sort of get an idea of what I wanted to do for the next couple of years of my life. And an initiative like that obviously took over straight away. You see people in your life that might struggle with mental health or yourself, you struggle throughout years. And just learning facts about that, not just how to work with it or get better at it, but how to help other people that might be in need of help. Uh, yeah, so along those ways, we touch a lot of people within the club and outside the club during those few weeks. And it's always helpful to learn a bit of information if you need help. Now, what advice would you have broadly for clubs looking to run, be it a, a similar initiative with regards to the mental health space or a similar initiative with regards to partnering with a cause, a charity, an organisation and putting the, the football context in it for their club, maybe for their regional organisation? What are some of the tips you've got and what are some of the, the challenges and the resources you've need to build the Headspace Cup into a success over seven years now? Yeah, well, one of the big things... Really, it comes down to what does your community possibly need? Obviously, for our club, it was an easy option looking at headspace simply based on the demographic of our club. 
but also you look within your club and see what's interest outside of football. Obviously, we've got a lot of people within those age brackets. Some of them work within Headspace. Some would go to Headspace. So we sort of we dive in, look at the resources we've got just from our volunteer point, and straight away we can see what other people, clubs get onto, where they can help out. And Headspace has been a massive initiative for us the last couple of years. That's sort of grown and grown within our club and almost started to become an identity of our club as people that like to just help out around football inside and outside the club. And just one more on, on football generally, how's the season going? Uh, for those of us, uh, including myself, that don't know how the campaign's going so far, what are some of the success stories for CSU Bathurst so far this season? So this season, yeah, it's sort of an up and down um, season, which is what we seem to find every year of our club. We find across the grades, some teams are doing really well, some are sort of that mid-table and some are just down the bottom but simply just love playing football and love getting involved. So that's where the beauty of this Headspace Cup comes in, especially for our lower teams see if they can get one up against the guys a bit higher up the ladder just for that one weekend and see if the guys that are up the top, the girls at the top, especially at the moment in our club, see if they can continue their momentum and take advantage of this Headspace Cup for a bit of an, bit of an extra push towards finals in five weeks. Josh, uh, if people want to know more, this comp uh, is coming up on August the 5th and 6th that weekend. Uh, website, social media pages, where can people go if they want to see more? Yes, best information we always try and supply is on our um, CSU Football Facebook page, also on our CSU Football Instagram page, the best two spots we can find information. We've got our trivia night starting next weekend, which is going to be an awesome initiative where we just sell tickets for the event. All that money goes straight away. And one of our biggest fundraising things that we've done the last couple of years, just recently, is we've got ourselves a raffle. So we go around to local businesses just within Bathurst and surrounding areas, and especially this year, they've been ex- extremely generous. We've got well over $2,000 worth of prizes. So straight away, if you keep your eye on the Facebook page, I think in the next day or two, we'll start releasing tickets for the raffle. Josh Wilcox uh, from CSU Bathurst, thank you for talking to us about the Headspace Cup, giving us a bit of the background, a bit of how it came to be and the function it also serves for football in the region. Really appreciate you talking to us on the Football New South Wales Community Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. We hope you're enjoying the Football New South Wales community podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So a big thank you to Tim Thorne and Josh Wilcox for joining us on this edition. And thank you to you for tuning in. We'll be back with our regular community podcast in one month. However, in the meantime, you can catch up with earlier episodes. And don't forget to check out the Kickoff Competitions podcast, which talks about all things NPL New South Wales and Football New South Wales Leagues. On behalf of our production crew, my name is Teo Pelizzeri. Thanks for listening to the Football New South Wales Community Podcast. We'll join you again soon.